express my gratitude to Andrew um, for allowing me to be here this morning. And uh, a special thanks to the elders of the Graymere Church for supporting uh, this kind of effort. This is the first um, preaching conference that I have been able to attend, and I'm glad for this conference and also for the entire weekend. He mentioned that we were able to be with the uh, Graymere Church uh, yesterday morning. And um, my task is to talk to you about preaching through Isaiah and um, just sharing uh, sermon tips and starters for preaching through the book, which is a pretty big task and at the same time um, so big that it's almost unbelievable. <laughs> How do you preach through the book of Isaiah? Um, my first response was, well, you just keep preaching. <laughs> keep preaching to get, to get through it. It's a long book, 66 books. And, and I thought maybe um, I would begin with the beginning and just start kind of talking through the context. Uh, not exactly like Justin... Rogers did. Where is Justin? Justin, you did a good job wherever you made it to. Thank you. Um, I appreciated your uh, work. And um, I'm going to do a little different approach to context um, because I, I'm, I'm talking about preaching and his may be... Um, a little heavy for the people that I preach to. <laughs> I'm going to lighten it up a little bit because I need Grandma and uh, all the other people that I preach to to understand all of this uh, so that we can, we can make applications that will be a little better. All right, I'm going to start here then. Uh, if you look at Isaiah 1.1, and all I'm after in the first part of this is a context. And when you get the context, I think I can show you a, a little bit of a way to, to at least one approach to preaching through it. Um, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now that's, that's Isaiah's own context. And that's what I think you need a little bit of a understanding of to actually preach through Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And these are just the kings of uh, Israel, but for a purpose. And in this particular context, uh, I just try to show you when Isaiah preached. All right, we know United Kingdom, Saul, David, Solomon, and then you split that. And one reason for thinking about these early kings is because. 
of Jeroboam's changes that you would be very familiar with as preachers of the gospel. Uh, the kingdom split. Jeroboam went north and changed everything, right? You're, you're with me. And when he changed everything, um, Nadab, Baasha, Elah, Zimri, Amri, Ahab, you should, you should know that, but I want you to just think about what I'm talking about. By the time you get to Ahab, you add two <coughs> Jeroboam's changes. Ahab married a Zidonian woman named Jezebel and added to Jeroboam's changes Baal worship. Now, now, just thinking out loud, you, you thinking out loud. Back over here in the south, where Jerusalem is, God has accepted the temple as the place for worship, and we know how to do temple worship, and then you change all of this, you change the object of worship to two golden calves, you change the places of worship, Dan and Bethel, we don't have three yearly feasts anymore. We've got one on the 15th day of the eighth month. So all of the stuff that we're supposed to be doing is changed. We add to that Baal worship. Now, now, now what's the chance of us ever going back to do it right? After you, after you do those generations of change. Are we ever going back to do right? Now, first glance, you'll answer, no, we're not going to get back to right. But we will. Um, I mean, I'm going to have time to talk about that this session, but they, they will get back to right. But we're way out of line. And, and the reason that's uh, important for... Um, Isaiah's study is when you add that next section North Israel is declining and it's actually during Isaiah's ministry see it right Isaiah right there during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah it's actually during his ministry that these people are often uh, are, are actually taken off into Assyrian exile. Isaiah's ministry would be finishing up, and during the days of Hezekiah, um, we're actually taken into um, Assyrian captivity around 722. So. So Isaiah, as a preacher, would have a good context for the decline and finally the demise of, of North Israel. And while he's preaching, he's actually watching South Israel do some of the same kinds of 
decline that he knows North Israel actually did. Um, and then, um, let's see, I want one more there. Yeah. Um, the only reason I put that one there is because I wanted you to see the impact that these people had on these people. See, Isaiah, Isaiah would know about that. He would almost have to know about that. Let, let me just give you one illustration. Um, and then, then I'm just trying to set a context here. The reason I say Isaiah would have to know about that is Jeroboam did these changes. Ahab and Jezebel got married. And Ahaziah reigned after him. That's, a, that's Ahab's boy. He died. And his son, uh, not Ahaziah's son, that's Ahab's boy, Jehoram. He, he was left reigning over there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you've fallen that. Say yes or no. If, I, if I'm putting you to sleep, you wake up. <laughs> uh, but I really want you to follow, follow this. Um, Ahab and Jezebel had three children. They had Ahaziah and Jehoram. This boy fell down to a ladder, got sick, and died. But the reason they're important is because this guy, Jehoshaphat, kept fooling around with the kings of the north. Jehoshaphat. And he did that. I mean, a prophet asked him one time, should we help those who, who, who hate the Lord? I mean, how come you keep doing that? But he wouldn't stop. And his son, Jehoram, married Athaliah who is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And see, that, that brought the sins of these people over here. That's why Athaliah is important there. When Jehoram and Athaliah had a baby, she named him Ahaziah. I almost bet it was for that boy who died. Um, but she married him. Uh, uh, he married her and brought the sin to the south. And when you start reading about Ahaziah, the king of Judah, one of the things that's said about him is he, 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 that's his mother, and he's got these people for his counselors. That moves the trouble to the south side. And Isaiah knows that. Isaiah, Isaiah knows we've got trouble. I've watched our northern brothers go, and we're kind of in line to go. And that's kind of the context that I want you to think about. And I also want you to remember that um, Isaiah is an inspired prophet of God. I'll talk about that in just a little bit when I when I try to encourage us to preach about about God. All right, the reason I wanted you to come down a little further here is because um, Isaiah is the preacher 
in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And that's a sad time in there because I, there's a decline in there too that we'll talk about. And then Manasseh and Ammon. Manasseh reigned 55 years. Ammon reigned two years. And in the 13th year of Josiah, God called Jeremiah to be the preacher. That's why we sometimes say there are 70 years between um, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then Jeremiah preached right on down into Babylonian exile. He didn't go into Babylon, but he preached um, right on into Babylonian captivity. And those are just interesting uh, sermons to me about God because you see they go into Babylonian exile in the days of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah Josiah Josiah Jehoahaz is in there but then Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim Zedekiah and South Israel has done the same thing that North Israel did we've gotten captured and, and so Isaiah is preaching just before that captivity actually happened and um, there's just a lot of things to talk about in there. What's in my mind right now is while Jeremiah is back up here preaching, Daniel went in the first deportation, Ezekiel went in that second deportation, and one of the ways you can think about inspiration, I'm talking about just from a biblical perspective, is God is saying some of the same thing to his prophets in Babylon that he's saying to his prophet Jeremiah who is still preaching back up in Jerusalem. So so something to say about preaching and in this particular context, Isaiah. I think I just want to stop there. Any question that you want to ask about this biblical context that you want to talk about because when I start talking about this, uh, some of the preaching thought, I, I want you to be able to kind of follow me. That, that's really the reason I put that slide up. I took that out of, out of another sermon, and I put that up just so we could kind of think about context. So, so we're living in a, in a day when I've watched a large group of Arab people go into a Syrian exile. Um, I think the context that I'm living in would be the same. One of the ways I think about Isaiah in terms of preaching the first part of Isaiah um, first six chapters Isaiah is just kind of he's, he's telling Israel South Israel about it I mean you guys are, are pretty corrupt and the whole head is sick and, and I don't think we're going to be able to correct it and he talks about all these people, and then he hits six, and he sees himself in light of the glory of God. Any of you ever had a, an awakening like that, where you looked at your raggedy genogramic context, the people that you're living among, and you, you say, man, my Uncle Joe, my Aunt Sue, these are a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> Uh -huh. 
And then you draw that out and look at it, and one of the things you have to acknowledge is, I am one of those crazy people. (laughs) I'm just as crazy as the rest of them. Isaiah looked at Israel, he looked at himself, looked at himself, backdrop of God's glory, said, whoa, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I see it clearer now. I see it clearer that that we are degenerating unless we turn back to that God who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Now there's there's a sermon for you kind of within itself that um, we preach to um, people like us. I was in a class one time and I was always impressed with this question. Um, how does a man like me preach to men and women like me? How does a man like me stand up every Sunday and preach to men and women who are just like me? What's my sermon to people who are just like me. That's why I still tell people pretty often. Somebody say, man, I enjoyed that sermon. It kind of touched me. I say, I preach to myself. (laughs) I preach to myself all the time. I preach to myself. Um, So so you look at that and you start thinking, how do you preach through Isaiah? See, I might have another one. Um, Yeah, there's some relevant factors here. North Israel is finally destroyed in the days of the kings who reigned when Isaiah preached. Judah is drifting. Judah and Jerusalem, uh, the focus of Isaiah's preaching, are in a dangerous state. Uh, As I already told you that, so I'm not, I don't want to repeat that. But I do think I can get to another one. I don't know what I put it in. Um, Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, That's what I was telling you earlier about Ahaziah's reign. Ahaziah is, is, Um, Jehoram and Athaliah's son and you see here he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab now that's a southern king but he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab because his mother advised him to do wickedly so he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab that's Ahaziah a southern king now Here's here's another little uh, step. I think I think I have that section in here. So I'm going to use this, and you can write those texts down, and I'll show you another little decline that you want to think about from that particular um, context of Isaiah's preaching. Okay, there's a little decline going on. Um, Isaiah. Isaiah preached in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Uzziah was really not a real bad king, but he died a leper. And the reason you want to remember that is um, in the Bible, from the chronicler's perspective, and I'm talking about, I'm going to put here, Second Chronicles, now, the chronicler is looking backwards through history, probably writing from um, 
a, a post-exile perspective. But the chronicler sees this in an interesting way. He died a leper. God helped him, God helped him, God helped him, and then he got big. Is that a sermon for us? That, that, that's preaching to me. God helped us, God helped us, God helped us. And what typically happens when people get helped all the way up, then they reach a point where they kind of say, God, I don't need your help anymore. I, I got it now. That's what happened to Isaiah. God helped him, God helped him, and then he got filled up with pride. He went to the temple of the Lord, and with 80 priests standing there telling him that he couldn't go into the temple of the Lord because he's of the tribe of Judah. This is a descendant of David. Of the tribe of Judah. You're of the tribe of Judah. You're not supposed to go... 80 priests trying to tell him. He went on in the temple anyhow to burn incense. God struck him in the forehead with leprosy. Now, he's got to get out, but they have to get him out because leprosy is unclean. He went willingly, but he died a leper. You got that? I think the decline is in the life of Isaiah. That's a sermon. But the decline is also in this part of the history. Watch his son. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Did what was right, but he didn't want to spend much time around that temple. <laughs> Every time I read it, I think I know why. <laughs> My daddy got leprosy up there, and I'm not fooling with it. Now, I do a lot of good things. Isn't that, isn't that applicable uh, to our day and time? Uh, let me flip back there. How many, how many people do you know who would tell you, if you were just talking about real practical things, something happened a long time ago, and, and I don't know what really happened, but, but, but I, don't, I don't do church anymore. I don't do church. Uh, all right with that Christianity stuff, but I, I don't do that anymore. My my daddy and him got into a big fight up there one time. And, uh, I'll, I'll and a lot of people cannot differentiate from um, sickness well enough to say, my daddy was just wrong about that. My daddy was just wrong about a lot of times we're so sick that we can't admit that our parents were sick or our mother. You know, forget that. Don't, don't get all personal with this. Those are my people. I love them too. But my daddy was wrong about that. He was wrong. How, how, how would Isaiah know? And what's the measure? He saw the glory of God and he knows that law of God. And I'll show you that as we kind of, kind of work through Jotham wouldn't go. Uh, see those sermons? Ahaz closed the doors to the temple of the Lord. We were talking about that a little earlier. I was thinking about it while Justin was talking to us. Ahaz finally closed the doors to the temple of the Lord. Read that. Down the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. 
This is that king Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him out of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made himself altars on every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke the anger, uh, to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now that's Ahaz. Are you following the decline? Uzziah, in Isaiah's name I'm talking about, Uzziah defied God. He went on in with 80 priests telling him not to. Jotham, not that interested in it. He did a lot of good things, but he's not that interested in it. This guy closed the doors to the temple of the Lord. Do you see those other sins in there? I'll give you a little challenge. Um, well, I, I, uh, no, I'll go ahead and do it now. Then I'll remind you of it. Um, when, when, you're, when you're preaching, um, you can't always um, evaluate practice with history. History is very important. Don't misunderstand me at all. But it's not the history that tells us the will of God. It's the law. And the law is how you evaluate the history. If you, if you didn't have the law, you couldn't evaluate the history. So you kind of have to know the law as you're working through the history. And that's how you know if something is right or wrong in the nation of Israel. So I'll show you something that's that's wrong. Of course, we know that it's wrong to shut the doors to the house of the Lord. That's, that's sad, and we know that's wrong. Right? Yeah, we know that's wrong. What do you think about this? And in every single city, no, no, let's see. He made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every single city of Judah. He made high places to burn incense to other gods. That's equally wrong. Do you remember what the law says? When you cross over Jordan to the promised land, I'm going to appoint one place for you to worship. That's Deuteronomy 12. I'm going to appoint one place, and that's where I want you to go. That's really that temple of the Lord in the city of Jerusalem that God accepted as the place for worship. Now, we're a long ways off from that, but what's interesting is they're supposed to be going to one place. He's got altars in every corner of Jerusalem and high places in every single city of Judah. I don't know what you think about that. I think that's real wrong. We're not supposed to be doing that. And it's going to get worse if we keep doing that. I'm just talking about these are the days that, that Isaiah preached in. 
And then the last, the first year of Hezekiah's reign, he opened those doors back up and and reinstituted temple worship and and set that back up. And that's where, if I had a long time, I would tell you to to go read the account in Chronicles all over again because he had a great big feast in his day and guess who he invited to that feast of Passover he invited the remnant from the northern tribes who had, so they did eventually come back but just a remnant came back just a remnant that I wish I had a long time to talk to you about what God can do with a remnant. Just, just a remnant. All he needs is a seed. And if you give God a seed, he can do something. All right, you could preach, in my judgment, sermons through the uh, history of Israel and through Isaiah's preaching to um, people during that history of Israel. And of course, uh, he would be preaching constantly from the law of God. Okay. Any question about that little section that you want to talk about? All right. Then let me let me kind of work then through um, uh, as, as sermon starters and, and just things to get you thinking. Um, we've talked about Isaiah in the first session from... Uh, at least two perspectives um, and one of the ways that I like to do it since I learned this from my boyhood is there. I, I like two sections in Isaiah not because I think there are two authors and I don't think there are three authors you, you, can, you don't have to agree you can fuss if you want to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah wrote Isaiah is what I'm pretty convinced about and there are two sections in Isaiah that first part is uh, 1 through 39 and then 40 through 66. How many of you learned what I learned? That Isaiah divides like the Bible, right? 66 books in the Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, 66 chapters in Isaiah. I know the chapters weren't there, but it's an easy memory device, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 1 through 39, God's God's kind of condemning Israel, and not all of that's condemnation. Forty through the end, God's encouraging Israel, and not all of 40 through uh, 66 is encouragement. But still, you can kind of divide the book out, and you can begin to think about uh, these sermons to preach. And one of the sermons that you could do in the first half as you begin to think about that is you could talk about God and, and God's, God's presence in his people, among his people. Um, we're away from God and then God reveals himself to Isaiah clearly. Um, and there's something to be said about God. I, I, I think that's what we ought to keep preaching. God. How do you preach God? And um, in that section, obviously, we have some pretty interesting um, sections. 
I'm going to come back to God here in just a minute, but I just want you to think about these other sections and then come back to God. Uh, preach from Isaiah chapter 2. I'm going to preach one God. Preach from Isaiah chapter 2 and talk about the church. Now, those are some pretty old sermons that we don't even hear much anymore. Uh, where people would take Isaiah 2 to talk about the church going to Jerusalem. Um, Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, Joel 2, Micah 4, and, and preach about the church. Um, it's coming. Preach about the nature of the kingdom of God. Those sermons are actually good sermons. Maybe points in some of the old sermons that we could uh, work on. I understand all of that. But those are good sermons, and they need to be preached to um, a modern world. Um, I, I wish somebody would kind of ask me, Barry, what do you want to preach about those sermons? Well, let, let me kind of connect it to Isaiah. In, in Isaiah, this declining Israel that was supposed to call people to God. That's why God raised up Israel, right? There were seven nations greater and more powerful than Israel before God ever raised Israel up. The big problem was Israel existed because God wanted a people for himself. These seven nations existed, but they didn't have a God. So God took Abraham and gave him Isaac, took Isaac and gave him Jacob, and raised up a nation. And what this nation is supposed to do is call these other, if they'll just be for God, God will call these other nations to himself through Israel. Do you understand, do you understand that? All right, now you're, you're Isaiah, play like. And God is supposed to be calling the nations to himself through us, and we're failing. And one of the messages in Scripture is, if God's people fail, and we're holding up all of the other nations, if we fall, everybody has to fall. And that's the way it goes, even in the exile prophets. God's nation falls, and then everybody else falls. And you roll into New Testament. That's why you need to preach the kingdom of God. The church is a special group of people in this world. And we ought to let our lights shine so that we call the world to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why I say you ought to preach the church. You ought, to, you ought to preach about, yes, I know that we got problems in the church, and I understand all of that. Still, I'm convinced that as Isaiah preaches and Israel goes into decline, then he starts preaching, and God's going to call a group back up out of that. He's going to call another group out. Um, one of my favorite ways to talk about the church is when God was in David's day 
in, in, in David's day, God made a promise to David. David sat on his throne and he said, um, God, I'm going to build you a house. God said, no, you can't build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And your descendants will sit on the throne till Jesus comes. So God's going to build David a house. You go all the way down from Saul, David, Solomon, where we started, into Babylonian exile. You come to Ezekiel 34, and God is mad at his people because the shepherds didn't do right. You didn't seek the sheep. You did, And then you say, well, what are you going to do about it, God? I'll seek my own sheep. I'm going to call them. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to gather them back together, and there will be one fold and one shepherd. How are you going to do that? Through my servant, David. David? David's been dead. I'm not talking about that David. I'm talking about that other David, descendant of David, named Jesus Christ. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm going to seek my sheep through my servant, Jesus. And I'm going to call my people out of all of those nations. And I'm going to gather them back together in one. I've got another shepherd somewhere way down the road. Well, I, I, I doubt it's accidental that when Jesus comes on the scene, he starts, I am the good shepherd. And other sheep I have, which are not of this Jewish fold, them I must draw, and there'll be one fold and one shepherd. How are you going to draw them, Jesus? I'm not a hireling. Everything that ever came before me was a hireling. I am not a hireling. I will lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes to the cross, and Paul's understanding is that he reconciled Jews and Gentiles into one body by the cross. So you see, I say preach Isaiah 2, preach the church, and then you move to Isaiah Seven, and we've had a very good explanation about uh, the virgin birth, and uh, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. But I need to tell you something about about that. Um, I studied that really hard one time, and then I got to thinking really hard. Um, you know, you study hard, you think hard, and then you say. Um, do you believe in the virgin birth? And then some people ask you sometimes, do you believe in the virgin birth? And I tell people fairly often, I absolutely believe in the virgin birth. And I'm kind of ready now when somebody comes along to say, can you explain it? Expl explain the virgin birth. And I say, I explain the virgin birth just like I explain birth by two people. You might have to think about that. But I'm the father of eight children. I watched six of them born into the world. And we adopted a set of twins. 
And, and I'm pretty convinced that you can't any more explain birth by two people than you can explain by one. <laughs> I explain it the same way. You say explain the virgin birth. I say you, you explain birth by two people. Now don't look at me. Explain me. You say, well, they had sex. No, it's bigger than that. It's, it's bigger than that. I want you to tell me how God takes some kind of seed in a woman that she makes one time a month, one day a month, that woman can get pregnant. She, she produces it. And, and nothing will activate the DNA in that seed but the sperm of a man. You can pour coal oil on it, gasoline, water, do whatever you want to. <laughs> the sperm of a man will swim up a fallopian tube and find it. How do you explain that? When he finds it, some kind of way through cell division makes a placenta that transports nutrients to a baby and waste back to a mama. How do you explain that? See, by the time you get through and you start studying that stuff and looking at it, and then you finally watch that woman get a nesting instinct, and you take her to the hospital, and she gives birth to a baby, and you watch that whole thing from beginning down, I became a pretty good coach. In fact, the second time we went to have the baby, Doc told me, you don't have to go through classes no more. I, I never went back. <laughs> I, I became a pretty, and we, you, you coach all the way down through that, and you do that about three or four times, and you'll come out saying, this is the work of God. Amen. You can't anymore explain birth by two people without God than you can explain anything else. If you'd ask me about the virgin birth, I'd say, God, God made it happen. Preach God. I am not surprised at, at a God. I, I put Josiah up on the board. Do, do you know where you first meet Josiah? God called Jeremiah in the days of Josiah, but you first meet Josiah in the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Out by that altar. Oh, altar, altar, a king shall arise, Josiah by name. I'm not surprised he called Cyrus in Isaiah's day any more than I am that he called Josiah in Jeroboam's day. But, but you've got to be talking about God. See, that's what I like about it. That's God. Ask me why I say that. Because you can do pretty good running your roots backwards. I can do that. Running your roots backwards five, six generations. But you're doing better if you can run your roots forward 17 generations. Now, that's God. Preach God. And, and and don't be afraid to preach God. And I, I wish you would ask me why. I'm going to get back here so I can stick with my notes. Not there. <laughs> Let me tell you why you ought to preach God. We're the church of God. 
And our task is to help these people develop faith. If all our God can do is the kind of stuff we can do, then, then why are we serving him? I want a God bigger than me. I want a God that I can rely on. I want that God who can call what is because he said it. And I want that God who can call it 15 generations from now. I, I want that God. It's how we develop faith in people that God said, and so I believe, and then that God who cannot lie. Preach God because it will develop faith. Preach Preach, preach God, preach the church, and then Isaiah's call. And then I, I did a little sermon yesterday, uh, and then I'll try to switch to the second part and see how much time I have left. Um, if you do, if you do say task, a lot of Jesus' teaching, boy, a lot of Jesus' teaching um, connects to Old Testament text. The one that we did yesterday morning, um, Jesus said, this people draw near me with their lips, they honor me with... But their, but their heart's far from me. What's he doing? He's quoting Isaiah 29. Um, and so many times you can make really good sermons by finding the text that some New Testament writer is quoting and reading that text in Isaiah or in some other Old Testament passage and getting clarity about what that text is actually saying. Mm -hmm. Let me flip just a little bit to the second half. I, I really like uh, the second half of Isaiah because in the second half you have, you have so much encouragement. Comfort my people. Comfort my people. Preach this because there are just times when this is true. God in 41 through 44 God is the only helper. You know how badly people need to understand that? You have no helper other than God. God is my help. And as preachers, we need to learn that. And, and we need to preach it, but we, but we need to know it. Because uh, if you're going to be a really good preacher, I can give you a little prediction. Brother Keeble used to say I'm no prophet, but I can predict. If you preach very long, you're going to have conflict, trouble, right in your church. Something's going to happen. That's the way devil works. Alright, now you get conflict and trouble in your church and that starts messing with your mind and with your soul and somewhere you might find yourself back up in a hole somewhere figuring out that the only helper I got is God. I've got some friends, but they can't do nothing about it. This is one of those that they can't help me with. I need God. All right, as Israel was going off into Babylonian exile, Isaiah started trying to tell them, God's your only helper. He's the only helper you've got. And you're not being wise to go to another God. You're, you're not going to find another God who can help you. So preach to our people that God is the only helper. I like Isaiah 53, connected to Acts 8, that's Jesus. Um, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? You know that question. And Philip began at the same scripture. 
and preach to him Jesus. Teach our people to seek the Lord. Seek, seek the Lord. Um, that's Isaiah 55, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. And keep trying to figure out that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above, so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. I think there's such a challenge in that in modern times where I'm not asking you what you think. I'm asking you what God thinks. I don't want to hit a, um, a sore spot with anybody. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to tell you something. We ask the wrong questions all the time. Now, right now, in African-American churches particularly, we're struggling all over again with this instrumental music question. And you know what? The, you, you know the question that a lot of people ask about, does God permit it? Is it allowed? That, those are not question, Christian questions. What Christian people are supposed to be trying to find out is what does God want? That's the question. What does God really want? Seek the Lord while he may be found. His thoughts are not our thoughts. and His ways are not our ways. We've got to learn to seek God. All of us grown in this room. And we know that we've accepted what we don't want. Right? And you did it because you had to. I did it sometime because I had to. But God doesn't have to accept what he doesn't want. So what we've got to do is seek the Lord. Teach the people to seek the Lord. Seek the will of the Lord. What does the Lord really want? Isaiah 56. No hopeless case. No hopeless case. Don't let, this is pretty strong. And, and I know you can do eunuch different ways. But don't even let a eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. A man who joins himself to the Lord. God can take him and make him, give him a name better than that of sons and daughters. No, no hopeless case. If a person will join himself to the Lord, if he will learn to seek the, the Lord, um, Isaiah 61 through 66, and I'll just stop here um, because I don't have the time to do much more with it. Um, I like that because, because it allows this wonderful kingdom of God in restoration where Jerusalem is for Gentiles. Jerusalem for Gentiles? When will Jerusalem be for Gentiles? Probably not in his day, in that other David's day. And then you run into the New Testament after the cross, and God calls one of our favorite preaching brothers named Paul and sends him to preach to the Gentiles and expands the borders of the kingdom of God. I think I'll just stop there, not because I have to, but because I, I tried to watch the time and went over just a little bit. Um, I hope those thoughts are helpful. Um, if you have questions about them, I'll talk about it now.
I thank you, Andrew, for that question. I think it's excellent. Let me tell you uh, my perception of it. I think all of those kings have modern, all-timely messages. You, you can talk about any of them. And there are messages there. I just think we really need to learn those stories. And so I'll take just two minutes to ride a little um, hobby horse. Occasionally, some people will say things like, um, well, Red, I'm really impressed with the way you know uh, Old Testament. And then I would kind of respond like, um, those are your stories too. You need to learn your stories. A long time ago, we did an Old Testament, New Testament dichotomy, and we wound up kind of spending all of our time with New Testament, which is good and fine. I'm not mad at anybody. But um, Gentiles, incidentally, Abraham was called out of that. So he was a Gentile kind of before he was a Jew, right? <laughs> Gentiles were here, and then Abraham is called, and then later through Jesus, we're all children of Abraham by faith in Christ Jesus. So that all of this history is not just Israelite history if you can think of it as Christian history too that's and, and those things were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope they're just examples galore back there for us to use and preach and teach as the ministers of God and I might just add they're not just things that tell us what we can do, there are a number of illustrations that say you shouldn't do that. Don't, don't do that. So we learn our history, but what I tell people is not just partial history. Learn as much of your history as you can. So those stories that we've covered in Isaiah and in the history of Israel I call them our stories, too. They're all our stories. Well, it's our spiritual DNA. Huh? It's our spiritual DNA. That's a good way to think about it. He said it's our spiritual DNA. Uh, so we study them to learn from them, and and I promise you they're, they're applicable. It's almost like inspiration, like God really did know what he was talking about. Oh, yeah. God bless you. Thank you.